Section 141 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 141. A Normandy Joke. It was a wedding procession that was coming along the road between the tall trees that bounded the farms and cast their shadow on the road. At the head were the bride and groom, then the family, then the invited guests, and last of all the poor of the neighborhood. The village urchins who hovered about the narrow road like flies ran in and out of the ranks and climbed up the trees to see it better. The bridegroom was a good-looking young fellow, Jean Patou, the richest farmer in that neighborhood, but he was above all things an ardent sportsman who seemed to take leave of his senses in order to satisfy that passion, and who spent large sums on his dogs, his keepers, his ferrets, and his guns. The bride, Rosalie Roussel, had been courted by all the likely young fellows in the district, for they all thought her handsome, and they knew that she would have a good dowry. But she had chosen Patou, partly, perhaps, because she liked him better than she did the others, but still more, like a careful Normandy girl, because he had more crown pieces. As they entered the white gateway of the husband's farm, forty shots resounded without their seeing those who fired, as they were hidden in the ditches. The noise seemed to please the men, who were slouching along heavily in their best clothes, and Patou left his wife, and running up to a farm servant whom he perceived behind a tree, took his gun and fired a shot himself, as frisky as a young colt. Then they went on, beneath the apple trees, which were heavy with fruit, through the high grass and through the midst of the calves, who looked at them with their great eyes, got up slowly and remained standing, with their muzzles turned toward the wedding party. The men became serious when they came within measurable distance of the wedding dinner. Some of them, the rich ones, had on tall, shining silk hats, which seemed altogether out of place there. Others had old head coverings with a long nap, which might have been taken for moleskin, while the humblest among them wore caps. All the women had on shawls, which they wore loosely on their back, holding the tips unceremoniously under their arms. They were red, parti-colored, flaming shawls, and their brightness seemed to astonish the black fowls on the dung heap, the ducks on the side of the pond, and the pigeons on the thatched roofs. The extensive farm buildings seemed to be waiting there at the end of that archway of apple trees, and a sort of vapor came out of the open door and windows, and an almost overpowering odor of eatables was exhaled from the vast building, from all its openings and from its very walls. The string of guests extended through the yard, but when the foremost of them reached the house, they broke the chain and dispersed, while those behind were still coming in at the open gate. The ditches were now lined with urchins and curious poor people, and the firing did not cease, but came from every side at once, and a cloud of smoke, and that odor which has the same intoxicating effect as absinthe, blended with the atmosphere. The women were shaking their dresses outside the door to get rid of the dust, were undoing their cap strings and pulling their shawls over their arms and then they went into the house to lay them aside together for the time. The table was laid in the great kitchen that would hold a hundred persons. They sat down to dinner at two o'clock, and at eight o'clock they were still eating, and the men in their shirt-sleeves, with their waistcoats unbuttoned and with red faces, were swallowing down the food and drink as if they had been whirlpools. The cider sparkled merrily, clear and golden in the large glasses, by the side of the dark, blood-colored wine, and between every dish they made a hole, the Normandy hole, with a glass of brandy which inflamed the body and put foolish notions into the head. Low jokes were exchanged across the table until the whole arsenal of peasant wit was exhausted. For the last hundred years, the same broad stories had served for similar occasions, and, although everyone knew them, they still hit the mark and made both rows of guests roar with laughter. At the end of the table, four young fellows who were neighbors were preparing some practical jokes for the newly married couple, and they seemed to have got hold of a good one by the way they whispered and laughed and suddenly one of them, profiting by a moment of silence, exclaimed, "'The poachers will have a good time tonight with this moon. I say, Jean, you will not be looking at the moon, will you?' 
The bridegroom turned to him quickly and replied, Only let them come, that's all. But the other young fellow began to laugh and said, I do not think you will pay much attention to them. The whole table was convulsed with laughter, so that the glasses shook, but the bridegroom became furious at the thought that anybody would profit by his wedding to come and poach on his land, and repeated, I only say, just let them come. Then there was a flood of talk with a double meaning which made the bride blush somewhat, although she was trembling with expectation, and when they had emptied the kegs of brandy they all went to bed. The young couple went to their own room, which was on the ground floor, as most rooms in farmhouses are. As it was very warm, they opened the window and closed the shutters. A small lamp in bad taste, a present from the bride's father, was burning on the chest of drawers, and the bed stood ready to receive the young people. The young woman had already taken off her wreath and her dress, and she was in her petticoat, unlacing her boots, while Jean was finishing his cigar and looking at her out of the corners of his eyes. Suddenly, with a brusque movement, like a man who was about to set to work, he took off his coat. She had already taken off her boots, and was now pulling off her stockings, and then she said to him, "'Go and hide yourself behind the curtains while I get into bed.' He seemed as if he were about to refuse, but at last he did as she asked him, and in a moment she unfastened her petticoat, which slipped down, fell at her feet, and lay on the ground. She left it there, stepped over it in her loose chemise, and slipped into the bed, whose springs creaked beneath her weight. He immediately went up to the bed, and stooping over his wife, he sought her lips, which she hid beneath the pillow, when a shot was heard in the distance, in the direction of the forest of Rapise, as he thought. He raised himself anxiously, with his heart beating, and running to the window he opened the shutters. The full moon flooded the yard with yellow light, and the reflection of the apple trees made black shadows at their feet, while in the distance the fields gleamed, covered with ripe corn. But as he was leaning out, listening to every sound in the still night, two bare arms were put round his neck, and his wife whispered, trying to pull him back, "'Do leave them alone. It has nothing to do with you. Come to bed.' He turned round, put his arms around her, and drew her toward him, but just as he was laying her on the bed, which yielded beneath her weight, they heard another report, considerably nearer this time, and Jean, giving way to his tumultuous rage, swore aloud, "'Damn it! They will think I do not go out and see what it is because of you. Wait, wait a few minutes.' He put on his shoes again, took down his gun, which was always hanging within reach against the wall, and, as his wife threw herself on her knees in her terror, imploring him not to go, he hastily freed himself, ran to the window, and jumped into the yard. She waited one hour, two hours, until daybreak, but her husband did not return. Then she lost her head, aroused the house, related how angry Jean was, and said that he had gone after the poachers, and immediately all the male farm servants, even the boys, went in search of their master. They found him two leagues from the farm, tied hand and foot, half dead with rage, his gun broken, his trousers turned inside out, and with three dead hairs hanging round his neck, and a placard on his chest with these words, "'Who goes on the chase loses his place.' In later years, when he used to tell the story of his wedding night, he usually added, "'Ah, as far as a joke went, it was a good joke. They caught me in a snare as if I had been a rabbit, the dirty brutes, and they shoved my head into a bag. But if I can only catch them some day, they had better look out for themselves.' That is how they amuse themselves in Normandy on a wedding day. End of section 141. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.